Children's Church. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. All right. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, while you turn in there, remind you that our kiddos are uh, on their way to church camp today. So you all lift them up this week for a good week uh, for, for all of our sponsors. And Chad and I will leave right after church today to head down there. And so just for, for safety, safe traveling uh, for everyone. All right, Matthew chapter 5. And if you would please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. Matthew chapter 5, we'll start in verse 1. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for um, our worship service today. Thank you for each and every person here. Be with us now as we, as we look at, at, at what it means to be pure in heart, Father, and, and, and what, it means, uh, what that promise means that we're going to see you. Uh, I pray uh, again that you would save those who are far from you today uh, and that you would gently remind each and every one of us as believers of, of the good news of the gospel and how it's only through what you've done for us that we're able to have a pure heart uh, and a heart that's able to see you. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen. We've been working our way through the Beatitudes, and, and, and as we've said every week, the, the Beatitudes are just Jesus' way of saying, hey, if you want a, a good life, if you want a blessed life, then, then this is, is what it looks like. Now, now, the Beatitudes are not behaviors that, that we do in order to be saved. So if you could just do these things, then you're saved. That's not what the Beatitudes are. Remember, a Christian is something that someone is before they do. So first we become a Christian by faith through Jesus Christ. And as a result of the, this salvation, we live out these behaviors. And so last week, what we did is we looked at blessed are the merciful. And what we said is, is mercy is pity plus action. Mercy realizes that I didn't get what I deserve. And as a result, I now show mercy to others. What makes me merciful is the grace of God. The way we become merciful is by looking to Jesus, who is the supreme example of mercy. So on the cross, the, the one who never sinned, the one who never did harm to anyone, came and preached the truth. And the one who came to seek and save the lost, while he's on the cross, he looks at the people responsible for his death. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, when that melts our heart, we're changed into the kind of people that Jesus is talking about. Now last week what we did was we looked at how the first four Beatitudes are internal and then the next four Beatitudes are all external. The first, fourth one says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So we hunger and we thirst for a righteousness that's outside of ourselves, a foreign righteousness, an alien righteousness that can only be found through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Once we receive that righteousness, we're filled, right? We're, we're searching for it, we hunger for it, we receive it, we're filled. That then leads us to live out externally what is now true of us internally. Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about how the Beatitudes build upon one another. And we looked at that a little bit last week. But one of the things he points out is that you can tie the external realities back to the internal ones. So he says this, that when you understand your poverty of spirit, that you're a debtor to mercy, how can you then not be merciful to others? When you mourn over your sin, you mourn over the fact that you have an impure heart. When you mourn that, it produces a desire for what? A pure heart. When you're meek, you know who you are. You know how bad your sin is and that humbles you. And that then causes you to be a peacemaker. Because humble people aren't out for themselves. They're out for the good of others. Right? And so today we're, we're going to look at being pure in heart. So look at Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 8. Jesus says this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So once more, remember... The Beatitudes are not entrance requirements for the kingdom of God, right? So, so do these things often enough, then you'll be counted worthy of eternal life. That's not what they are. They're not virtues you do to get into heaven. Instead, they're defining features of those who have already been saved and forgiven based on the work of Jesus Christ. They describe someone who's born again. So to be born again means to have the Holy Spirit implanted into your heart. The Bible tells us that there's a point when God comes and he takes the Holy Spirit and he pushes that into your soul. And when he does that, it begins to grow. It begins to germinate like a seed and all kinds of blossoms, all kinds of fruit that only the supernatural can produce come out of your life. The Bible also tells us that our hearts are hard, right? that they're stony, that they're hard. Uh, and and there's, there's only a couple of ways that, that you can break up hard ground. One, you, you can irrigate the ground, right? You can irrigate it, and over time, as you irrigate it, the land will soften, and it may take a while, but eventually it happens, and it doesn't take any violence to do that, right? You just water the ground, you water the ground, it gets soft enough, and eventually you can just go and push the seed in. That describes some of you in this room. God watered the soil of your heart over a long period of time, right? Through, through godly parents or through godly grandparents or through godly Sunday school teachers, through life experiences that he was behind, that he led and guided you to a place of salvation. Some of you could say, well, I can't exactly pinpoint the moment I became a Christian. I just knew that I was. You knew that God had placed the seed of the Holy Spirit in your heart and you believed in Jesus for salvation and you've been following him ever since then. Right? That's the testimony I want for my kids. It's good. It's boring. It's, I mean, that's what I'm after right there. That's what we should all be after right there. Right? I've just followed Jesus all my life. It's just the craziest thing. Now, the other way you can break up hard ground is through violence. Right? So you can take the shovel. You can take the hoe. You, you, can, you can begin to slam it into the ground. You can break it up. You can turn the soil over. And you can do that again and again and again until the soil is soft. And then what? You plant a seed. You plant a seed. And there's some of you in here that you're that way. You had to learn the hard way, didn't you? You, you had to go through a lot of difficulty. You had to go through some hard knocks. God had to bring you to the end of yourself before you trusted in him for salvation. 
right? He had to take his pickaxe and break up the soil of your heart and plant his word there. So that means if you're a Christian in here, some of you are water kind of people. Some of you are pickaxe kind of people. But the point is, is that Jesus saved you at some point and you're born again. And listen to me, I need everybody to understand this. There is no middle ground when it comes to salvation. You're not kind of, sort of, maybe a little bit saved, right? It's like a bad country song. Well, you know, I'm kind of, sort of, a little bit saved. You're not, right? You're either saved or you're not. But if you're saved, you've been ushered into the kingdom of God. So if you're in here and you say, hey, man, I got a nice, neat testimony of being saved. Awesome. That's great. If you have a tough testimony of hard living and difficulty, but you're saved, great. The form does not matter, but the content does. So when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he doesn't just mean that your relationships are changing or that your behavior is changing. That's a huge part of it, yes. But what he means is that you're changing psychologically, that you have an entirely new internal life, and that is only something that Christians get. See, Christianity is not about reformation, but transformation. See, over and over and over again, when the Bible talks about salvation, or it talks about what it means to follow the Lord, it's always talking about getting a new heart. Right? In the Old Testament, God told the prophet Ezekiel that a day was coming when God would take hard hearts and replace them with new hearts. Jay read this before church started in Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll put within you and I will remove the heart of stone, the hard heart from your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. So when you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, you're given a new heart. It's transformed from stone to flesh. We tend to equate the heart with emotions, right? All your, our love songs, everything, it's all about our heart. But the Bible talks about how the heart is, is the root of all things. It's not just the emotions. The heart is the thing out of which everything flows. So your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, all of those come from the bottom of who you are. They come from your heart. See, your heart shows who you really are. Your heart shows what you're really after. Your heart shows what you really think, what you really feel. The heart is the seat of all of our problems, is it not? Now, now the lie that we've lived in for a long time is that it's all about environment. Our culture tells us that over and over again, that, right, it's all about environment. So if you've got somebody that's in a bad environment, take them out of the bad environment, put them in a good environment, and that'll change it, that'll fix it, uh, that'll make everything good. And listen to me, does environment play a role? Absolutely it does. We're not discounting that at all. But remember this, Adam and Eve had the most perfect environment ever created. And they still sinned because their hearts were bad. I was a student pastor for over 10 years and this, this may shock some of you to hear this, but some of my worst students were the kids that were raised in good environments, right? because their hearts were bad. Some of my best kids were kids that were raised in awful environments. It's because their hearts were good, their hearts were transformed, they'd been saved, they'd been changed. So simply put, pure in heart just means that we have an undivided heart. It means that our heart has a single focus. 
It's a heart without hypocrisy. It's a heart without folds. One commentator said it's like a pair of jeans without pleats, right? It's just iron flat is what it is. It's undivided. Ultimately, it really just means that it's a heart free of idols. Ezekiel 36, 25 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Psalm 24, three through six, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who do not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Hebrews 10, says, let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, Old and New Testaments agree that purity heart means to be freed of idols. So then what are idols? I've preached on this for six years, but let's do it again. Most of the time, idols are very good things that we make God things. Tim Keller says an idol is anything in your life which is very good but has become the enemy of the best. That's pretty good. It's anything in your life that's very good, but it's become the enemy of the best. Calvin said that the human heart's an idol factory. It's constantly latching godlike weight onto created things. So, so what is it for you? When I bring up idols, what, what is that thing that is your idol? What is that thing that you're giving God given weight to, right? I want you to listen to these questions and I want you to really think about these in your heart and answer them, right? These came from J.D. Greer's book, Gospel, and he even says in the book that he stole all these from Tim Keller. So um, let's just go through them. So what is the one thing, what one thing do you most hope is in your future? Maybe it's a salary, maybe it's a, it's a bigger home, maybe it's a better job, maybe it's successful kids, maybe it's being respected. Wh whatever that one thing is, if it's not our Lord, then that's an idol. What's the one thing you worry about losing that you obsessively worry about all the time? Money, home, kids, love of the spouse, maybe the respect of your kids, retirement, I, I don't know, right? I worry that, that, you know, right now I'm, I'm the pastor in town, y'all, right? Y'all remember the Titans? The running back, y'all. I've been here the longest. I'm one of the only ones in town. You know, I'm, I'm pushing 40, a couple more months. I know how that goes as you get older, man, okay? What happens when the new young hotshot guy comes into town and that's not me no more? I mean, I'll worry about it. You can laugh all you want. If you could change one thing about yourself right now, what would it be? Your home, your job, your weight, what, I mean, what is it? What thing have you sacrificed the most for? Maybe it's your kids, maybe it's a scholarship, maybe it's the perfect body, maybe it's a certain income level. Who's there in your life that you feel like you can't forgive and why? Ooh, that's a tough one, isn't it? To think that we can have idols because of we just obsess over the person who hurt us. Yeah, I had a few pop in my mind. I'm going, ouch. Okay, what about this one? 
When do you feel the most significant? Is it when your name's mentioned? Is it when your kids perform well? Maybe when you're compared positively to other pastors? I, I don't know, ask him for a friend. <laughs> okay, what about this one? What triggers depression in you? See, for many of us, it's social media, isn't it? Even you adults. Get on there and you get on the gram and, and you see how everybody else is living and you look how you're living and you're like, oh. Other people's success, maybe, maybe their homes, maybe their, their vehicles, maybe how well their kids perform, right? And yours is over there just stumbling over their own two feet or whatever, right? What about this last one? Where do you turn for comfort when things are not going well? Because you all have it. I have it, you have it. For some it's pornography, for some it's comfort food, for some it's pills, for a lot of us in this room is alcohol. I mean, if there's one thing the, the, the pandemic's exposed is that we're drinking way too much. We've taken a good thing that God's created, right? We're not legalist about it, but it's turned into a God thing that we can't live without. Maybe some of you just turn inward and you turn to depression for comfort. Depression's a comforting thing. Whether you believe that or not, it is. If any of you have ever struggled with it, I always tell people it's like a warm blanket, man. It's always there for me. Right? When things are bad, I can just go and grab that blanket and I can just pull it over on top of me and I can just wallow in it. And as much as I want to get it off, it's nice to just have it there. That's what some of us do. See, if you've come to worship God in purity of heart, he's telling you right here, the only way you can have the blessed life is by serving him with an undivided heart. And the way to an undivided heart is that we have to lose control of our life. Idols are our way of thinking that we can still be in control of our life. Idols are our way of thinking, well, yeah, I'm gonna give myself to Jesus. I'm gonna kind of sort of be saved, but yet I'm still gonna control everything else right? Idols are our way of saying I can find meaning if I'm good enough or if I'm loved enough or if I'm in control enough or if I'm comfortable enough. And as a result, you're seeking to be your own God, your own savior. You're not mourning over the fact that you can't save yourself. You think you can. See, the pure in heart, they recognize their idols and they ditch them. The pure in heart are constantly repenting of all those things that they're putting in the place of God, all those things that they're putting God-like weight on. A pure in heart person is someone who's seen that they're poor in spirit. They're mourning their lack of righteousness, which leads to humility and a desire to be filled with the righteousness of Christ. And when we find the righteousness of Christ, when we receive it, we're merciful because we've been shown mercy. We're pure in heart, meaning we root out our idols. To become pure in heart means that we recognize that Jesus is saying to each and every one of us, listen, look at the pressure that you're under trying to live your life for everyone else. Look at the pressure you're under trying to earn love and approval and acclaim and applause from everyone. And listen, you're even trying to do it with me. Jesus is saying, child, listen, my yoke is easy. My burden is light if you'll just worship me. If you'll just admit your sin, if you'll just admit all the ways that you continue to try to be your own savior and give up trusting anything else, receive me as your savior, let me save you, not your works, then you'll find freedom, then you'll find 
joy. But in order to do that, we have to give God access to our inmost self, which is our heart. Listen to what Keller says. He's really smart. He says, unless you're willing to center your life on God, unless you're willing to do that, you'll just coast on the contentment you have and you'll become a mediocre person without passion, without principle, and eventually you'll run out of road. Now don't freak out on me here, right? I see a lot of you freaking out. Don't, don't freak out. I'm not talking about a perfect heart here. That's not possible, this side of eternity. I'm talking about what the Bible says is a pure heart. A heart that has said, I've made a decision and I know what my center is. And my center is Jesus. I know what my idols are. I'm rooting those out and I am after God, the true God. The only God who won't enslave me. The only God whose burden is light. So how do you know if you've done that? Well, C.S. Lewis said Christianity is not about making nicer people, but new people. I think we need that in our part of the world, don't we? We tend to think it just means being a nice person. No, he says it's not about making nicer people, but new people. It's not here to make you a good old boy or a good old girl with good morals. Christianity is here to create an entirely new model. See, religion is probably one of the biggest problems we have in our corner of the world. And religious people do not know that they're pure in heart. Or that they uh, do, not, do not have a pure heart, excuse me. Religious people don't have a new heart. Their, 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 their life and, and their belief exist in, etern- in externals instead of a new heart. See, there's this organic vitality to a new heart. There's a mechanical vitality to a religious heart. So religious people, nice people, they grow mechanically. So if I have a great big pile of sand right over here on the stage, I can make that pile of sand grow, can I? I can, right? I can go get more sand and just keep dumping it on and grow that pile. Like I can't look at them and it grows sand. Well, sand's dead, but I can grow it by mechanically throwing stuff on it. That's how religion works right? Go to more Bible studies, go to church more often, read your Bible more often, add more habits to your life. And all those things are good. And all those things are things we should do, but that's not where true growth comes from. See, when a person gets a new heart, the growth is organic. It's like a tree. It's like a plant. It grows. Why? Because it's alive. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of God dwell richly in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, when you have a new heart, God's word comes in. It transforms you. It changes you and you come under the power of it. So nice people, religious people, moral people, they rack up a lot of good works, but all of it is mechanical. It's just them making the pile of sand bigger. But Tim Keller tells us that new people since serendipity. They're surprised by what God's doing in their lives. They find themselves not just doing good deeds, but growing deeper, growing wiser, growing humbler. And listen to this last part. And always being surprised by what is happening. You ever had that happen to you as a believer? A situation comes into your life and all of a sudden you just respond to it and you go, holy cow. Like, like I actually responded to that like in a biblical way, like in a godly way. I don't know how it happened because I'm an idiot, but it happened. 
That's because the word of the Lord has taken root in your life and you're growing and it's changing you and it's internal. It doesn't exist in your externals and what you do. It exists in internals and what God's done for you. That's what it means to be pure in heart. It's not a perfect heart, but a pure heart. A heart that knows where its center is and is actively keeping Jesus right there. And I want you to see what the promise is to those who are pure in heart. Look at the second part of that, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. And look what he says. For they shall see God. They shall see God. Now, and there is a lot of ink that has been spilled over what this means. And you can read commentaries and you can listen to other pastors and there's a lot of back and forth on what it means. So, so does it mean that we'll see God here on this earth? Well, some say, yeah, it, it does. Or does it mean when we, we get to heaven, we'll see God? And some will say, yeah, it does. So, so, so which is it? I don't think you have to choose. It's both, right? So, so remember, the kingdom of God is already here. Jesus brought the kingdom with him when he stepped down onto this earth. It's just not fully realized. It's not fully consummated yet. So here and now, those who are pure in heart can see God in a sense that nobody else can. So the Christian sees God in, in nature. The Christian sees God in what he's created. Now, those who don't know God, they look at the, the nature and it just stops there, right? It terminates on the thing that they're looking at. But the person who knows the Lord can see nature and instead of worshiping what's been created, they can turn that back around and worship the creator who made those things, right? A Christian is somebody that can eat a good steak and not just stop there and go, oh yeah, that was a good steak. No, instead it can turn around and say, man, whoever thought that we could season that beef like that and smoke it, just have a little blood coming out of it. It could just taste so good, right? Oh, that must be God, right? They can turn that thing around and worship the one who created it. A Christian can see him here and now in the vents of history. Believer, can you not look back in your life and see God's providential hand in the good and in the bad things that happened to you? Right? How even the bad things God had turned them around for good in your life so that you could come closer to him, that you could even maybe even be brought to him. As Christians, we see God when we trust in Jesus and we receive the grace offered to us in the gospel. We see God when we gather every week as brothers and sisters across all different walks of life and we stand shoulder to shoulder realizing the only reason we're here is because of the mercy of Christ and we sing to him. We experience just a little bit of what it means to see God on this earth. Psalm 27, seven through nine, David says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not, uh, turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O oh God of my salvation. See, in saying, hide not your face from me, David's saying, be gracious to me. He's saying, let me feel and enjoy and find satisfaction in your kindness and mercy. So when Jesus says the pure in heart will see God, he means that when you trust in him and him alone for salvation, you will have unmediated access to God right here, right now on this earth. Here on this earth that you can have fellowship with the living God. You can have a rich relationship with him unlike any other on this earth. Jesus prayed that for you and I in John 17 in his high priestly prayer. He said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me 
before the foundation of the world. See, we have access on this earth. We can see him, right? I, I was telling somebody, I, I didn't know if I was going to use this or not. I'm going for it though, okay? Um, it's not bad. Uh, we, we had a guy come play a concert in, in Braden's backyard last week. And, and he's got this song, and it's funny because he talks about the song, and, and he said it was a song that he wrote for his kids, and in the song he talks about drinking, right? And so everybody's always like, I can't believe you sing that to your kids. And he said it's just because they don't understand metaphor, okay? Um, and it was. He, he wasn't talking, but, but he's got a line that says, so what, the wine don't reach to the top of the cup, but it's easy for a poor man to get real good and drunk, okay? Now listen, He's not talking about getting drunk there. You got to look at the metaphor, right? Use your brain, okay? This isn't your Florida Georgia line, people, all right? You actually got to think, right, whenever you listen to certain music. It's good for you. What you say it is that, hey, man, right here on this earth, man, I don't have everything that God's fully promised me yet, but I have enough that my cup can be full. I have enough of what he's promised me right? That, that I can enjoy the good things, the wonderful things that God has given me here on this earth because God has been good to me, right? So yeah, the wine doesn't go all the way up yet. It's not all the way. I don't have a full glass yet, but I've been given enough that I can enjoy him. I think that's a beautiful thing, right? But listen, the other part of that is that although we can see him on this earth, one day more fully, we'll see him face to face, Revelation 22, three through five, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So do you realize a day is coming when you will see God the Father. Right, right now you have access, right? But it's just partial. I think Paul would tell you in 1 Corinthians that we see through a glass darkly, right? That, that your cup is only about halfway filled right now, right? And the last part of that song says is when I get called up, I hope I'm real good and drunk and I stumble to the table and you fill my cup. In other words, that one day when I get there, I ain't gonna get there because I'm good. I'm getting there because of God's grace and he'll fill my cup to the fullest and I will finally see him face to face. So, so listen to me, brothers and sisters, if you're a believer, if you claim to have a new heart, is this your aim? Like, like are you longing for that day? Is that your goal, right? Is that you're gonna run your race for Jesus, you're gonna be stumbling, you're gonna be busted up, you're gonna be beat up, you're, you're gonna come to heaven one day and be like, I don't even know how I got here, uh, but I think Jesus said I could come in, so I'm here, right? And you will see him face to face. Listen, man, do you long for a day where there will no longer be anything accursed? Right, a day where, where you'll be free of sin? I mean, I know none of y'all have sin, but I do. And I get sick of it some days. I get sick of all the things that trip me up and all the things that I do. There'll be a day when there'll be no more war. There'll be a day where, thank the Lord, we won't even have to look at a politician. I know some of y'all are trusting them for salvation, but they're gonna fail you. I'm just gonna throw that out there. We're gonna sing a song here in a minute and there's a line that says, all the demons we've been fighting, those without and those within. I look forward to that day when all those mental demons and all those things I've wrestled with are done. 
where I don't have to turn to that warm blanket for comfort anymore. There's coming a day you won't have to bury people anymore. There's a day where disease will be no more when our relationships, which causes so much trouble on this earth, will be healed, they'll be whole. There's coming a day when we're going to see Jesus face to face. Listen to me, that's the promise for those who are pure in heart. So how do you get a pure heart, Byron? Well, let me tell you right here now, you can try to clean your heart all you want. You can keep adding piles to that sand. You can grow it mechanically for the rest of your life, but on the day of your death, when you stand before the Lord, your heart will be just as black as it is right now. See, it's only God himself who can clean your heart. And the way that happens is through the power of the Holy Spirit who enters us and gives us a new heart, a clean heart. Not a nice heart, all right? All right? Religious people, we're not after a nice heart, but we're after a new heart. And that can be yours today by repenting of all the ways you've tried to be your own God, of all the ways that you've tried to save yourself. You can turn from that and trust in what Jesus purchased for you in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. And then finally, Christian, my brothers and sisters, listen, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you anxious? Do you worry that you're not gonna make it? Could you be encouraged today by what the apostle Paul tells you and I in Philippians 1, 6, right? What's he say? And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That if you've been given this new heart, no matter how difficult it is, right? It's funny, I was talking to Thomas the other day and he made a really good point. He said, you know, following Jesus is not easier. In fact, once I trusted in Jesus, it got a lot harder because I'm constantly aware of all the ways that I'm failing and all the ways that I need to repent and all the ways I need to realign myself with the gospel and what Jesus has done for me. And it, and it gets more difficult and that can drag us down. But listen, that's a great promise right there that if you trust in Jesus, he will get you there. He will bring you to the other side, that he will hold you. So today, would you bring all your worries, all your anxieties to him, lay him down at his feet and look again into his face and remind yourself of the promise that blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm gonna ask my deacons to come forward. And I love a sermon like this because we, we get the opportunity now to remind ourselves of why we will see God one day, right? And that is because of the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ in our place for our sins. And so this morning, we're gonna go to the Lord's table and I'll tell you, like I tell you, every time we do this, is that if you're a believer in here and you don't belong to our church, man, feel free to come to the table with us this morning, right? You, you are more than welcome to partake. But if you don't know Jesus, then we're just gonna ask that you sit this one out. Nobody's gonna judge you. Nobody's gonna look down on you. We just want you to know that this is for the family.